Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. All right. Well, hey, welcome back. Glad to have you guys this morning. If you have a Bible, Philippian or Philip, uh, Philem, Philemon, Philemon, Phi, whatever, something. Man, it's a tough, tough day today for me. Philemon, not chapter one, by the way. The book of Philemon. And uh, while you're turning there, uh, we actually finalized our Israel trip, so we got the dates. It's going to be November 26th through December 8th for the Israel trip tour, and then uh, the extension tour to Jordan will extend on to December 13th. Uh, the cost is $49.95 per person for the Israel trip, and then an extra $1,035 for the Jordan extension. Uh, we're going to have an informational meeting here at the church on March 5th to discuss the the details of the trip and stuff. If you could sign up on the app and let us know if you're going to be there. And also there's more information on the app as to what that all includes. It's, it's pretty much all inclusive with uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinners and, and hotels and flights and all of that. But if you want the land only price, uh, then uh, I'll give you that at this meeting, which means you pay for your airfare. Uh, and it may be a little cheaper for you to do that, especially if you buy it now. But when you're booking out a long ways, they kind of pad that to make sure that they don't get burned on the, the, the price of the airline. So um, make sure that you come March 5th here right after second service, well, actually 1 p.m. Sign up on the app. Like I said, the actual itinerary for the trip will be there on, in the app that you can, you can grab and download and look at. So make sure you do that. I want to encourage you, man, if, uh, if at all possible, make the sacrifice to go to Israel. If not now, at some point, because it is so beneficial to your walk. And uh, it's not like we're journeying to Mecca or anything like that, but it's, it's one of those things that will cause the, uh, the Bible to become not more powerful, because the Bible in and of itself is powerful. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, but it will bring it into 3D for you and give you some pictures to be able to, uh, you know, as you're reading through the, the Bible, to be able to match the, the places and all of that kind of stuff. And it's really beneficial. So I encourage you, make the sacrifice, man. And we did it at a time frame so that you could go to your relatives and say, hey, instead of getting me a Christmas present, you can contribute to my Israel trip. And I'm sure many people would love to do that because you know what? Buying a gift is tough these days, isn't it? I mean, half the time we get stuff, we're like, oh, sweet. Uh, don't need this, but thank you. It's awesome, you know. So here's something that you could tell them, like, this would be a great gift for me, and it'll pay off dividends for the rest of my life. So I want to encourage you with that. The book of Philemon, a couple tidbits for you before we read uh, the, the letter to Philemon here. It was written around 61 AD, the same time the book of Colossians was written. They were probably deli delivered together. Um, Philemon lived in Colossae, as we'll see here in a minute. Uh, the book of Philemon is the third shortest book of the Bible, only uh, to that of 2nd and 3rd John, and it's the shortest letter that Paul wrote. This is a unique letter in the sense that Paul is dealing with a personal issue between a man named Philemon and his runaway slave, Onesimus, and the matter of the letter, really the heart of the letter is forgiveness and reconciliation. Now, I taught through, verse by verse, through this letter about two years ago. So this morning, I'm, we're going to take it all in one, and we're going to look at it, in, it just as a whole. So we're not going to necessarily go line by line. We're going to read it all, but I'm going to make some points through this. But, but listen, don't lose the heart of the letter. The heart of the letter, it's all about forgiveness and reconciliation. And uh, I really felt like the Lord was impressing on my heart that we need to hear this message. Like, this message is so paramount to the Christian faith, folks. Like, if we're not forgiving people, if we're not people who are walking in reconciliation, then we are misrepresenting God. And it's a crucial thing that we understand uh, what, what it is that we're to do when it comes to uh, being wronged. Paul's going to call Philemon to do the right thing. Thing. That is the title of my message this morning. So stand with me. We're going to read this letter together. Philemon, beginning in verse 1, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, 
to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, Archippus, our uh, fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to me, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your, good, your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. For if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your own owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want uh, some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the, at the same time, prepare a, a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus, sends greetings to you. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, and my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask you, Lord, now, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would help us to uh, hear the exact words that we need to hear. And that not only we would hear it, Lord, but we would be willing to receive it this morning. And then we would be willing to obey it. God, we ask you to have your way in us and we open our hearts to you, Lord. And we look forward to seeing what you're gonna do through your word now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. How many of you would agree that doing the right thing is never the easy thing? Anybody agree with that? Like doing the right thing is never the easy thing. Most of the time it costs us something to do the right thing, and that's why it's the hard thing to do. Uh, take it from the, the great theologian Queen Latifah, who uh, said, it's not easy to do the right thing, but doing the right thing makes you strong. It builds character. It, I totally agree with that. Doing the wrong thing is way easier to do, and thus it's the path that most pick in the heat of the moment. Why is it so hard to do the right thing? Because our emotions get involved, don't they? That's why we don't walk by feelings, but we walk by truth in the word of God. Hey, listen, we as Christians, we have a higher calling as it relates to how we react to someone when we are wronged by them. We're called to walk by the truth of God's word and to forgive and reconcile with those who have wronged us. Now, my guess is in a room full of people here this morning that all of us probably have a broken relationship or two that we need to mend. And we've just sort of left it alone. We've just let it go. We, we just said, hey, we'll just let bygones be bygones. And yet in your heart this morning, you have something against that person. They've wronged you. And you're saying, well, I'm justified in keeping an arm's length distance. Are you? Are you justified in that? 
hey, listen, they don't have to be your best friend. But if you're harboring unforgiveness and you're unwilling to reconcile with another person, you're in sin, period. The Bible makes it clear that you and I are to be forgiving people. We're to be people that, hey, listen, we have to get beyond ourselves and allow uh, the Lord to go before us and even within us to strengthen us to be able to walk in forgiveness and reconciliation. Now, this letter to Philemon is all about that. It's about the Apostle Paul telling a Christian who I believe to be a leader in the church at Colossae, telling him, hey, listen, bro, I know he did you, did you dirty. He wronged you. But you need to get over it and forgive him. And you need to reconcile with him when he comes back. And I hope that you'll rejoice with him because God's been doing a great work in him. Now, the extra, the, 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 the last point that I just suggested is extra. That it doesn't have to be that way. It does not matter whether or not they are, uh, you know, walking with the Lord or growing in their faith or anything like that. The mandate, Paul said, there is a requirement for us to reconcile to one another. The first step in reconciliation, folks, is forgiveness. It's forgiveness. The Bible has a lot to say about, you know, um, that, about forgiveness. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Oof, man, that is a tough verse. I mean, Colossians 3.13 kind of says the same thing. Bearing one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So too you must forgive. There is a, a serious weight to what Paul's saying in both of these verses. He's saying, you need to forgive people like God forgave you. How did Christ forgive you? How did the Lord forgive you? Did he wait till you were ready? And did he wait till you came to him to, to ask for forgiveness? He didn't, did he? He did not. The Bible says that Jesus Christ was slain from the foundation of the world. That means he extended the hand of forgiveness before you even existed. Like, there was a wrong that happened, and God said, hey, I'm going to send my son. And Jesus said, I'll pay the price. I'll extend that forgiveness. Remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross? What were his words to his father? Father, condemn them, for they're crucifying me. No, that's not what he said. He said, Father, forgive them. What was he doing? He was extending forgiveness. How did God forgive you? God forgave you when you probably didn't want his forgiveness. God chose, he made a decision from the foundation of the world to forgive us and to reconcile to us. You know, contrary to popular belief, there is this thought in the world that Jesus only died for some people. My Bible says that Jesus Christ died for the sins of the whole world. For the sins of the whole world. For God so loved the world. Not just some of it, but all of it. And, that's, and, and that was his decision, to send his own son to extend the hand of forgiveness to you and I that we might be reconciled to him. Now, here's the deal. We can't be reconciled to God unless we receive his forgiveness. Forgiveness is the first step into reconciliation. And what happens is that's not why not, you know, th this whole idea, all roads don't lead to heaven. The only road that leads to heaven is through Jesus Christ, folks. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And you have to grab his hand that's extended to you if you want to receive forgiveness you have to grab his hand it's extended to you but you have to receive it and when you activate that when you step into that and you say i do want that forgiveness i do want that reconciliation your sins are forgiven you are justified before the father and uh you know you have been born again but god made that decision long before you existed and what this is saying, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, is saying we're to forgive like that. We don't get to hold, withhold forgiveness. We, we are called to extend the kind of forgiveness that God has given us. You know what I know? That's impossible for us to do outside of the Holy Spirit, folks. It is impossible for us to forgive people that way. 
That is such a difficult thing, man, because our feelings get in the way. And when our feelings get in the way, they lead us astray, don't they? They tell us, oh, you're justified in the way that you're acting. And then your friends come around you and they tell you the same thing. Oh, yeah, of course, that, that's totally justified that you wouldn't want to forgive that person for what they've done. They betrayed you. They wronged you. That's not what the Bible says, guys. The Bible says you forgive as you're forgiven. Jesus said in Mark chapter 11, verse 25, um, and whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, anything against anyone, so that the Father also who is in heaven may forgive you uh, your trespasses. We're called to forgive. Jesus said it himself. If you, if you have anything against anyone, it's not the other way around. You know, if you know there's a problem with a relationship and the Lord is putting that on your heart and you're feeling, you know, a little bit convicted about that, he's speaking to you. He's saying, hey, you need to deal with that. Here's what I'll tell you this morning. God is not okay with us just leaving it the way it is. He's not okay with that. He's not okay with his, with his children who have been given, uh, you know, great, much forgiveness to withhold forgiveness from others. He's not okay with that. And he's going to speak to us about that this morning. The, the next thing relates to reconciliation. Uh, you know, the Bible has a lot to say about reconciliation. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. If, if possible, so far it depends on you, live at peace with all, with, with all. Like, you're supposed to do what you can to be at peace with all men. You know, you extend the hand of reconciliation. You, don't, you, you go to that person. You, you be willing to forgive them. And reconciliation is restoration of relationship. It's not enough to say, hey, I forgive you, and then never talk to them again. That's not what it means. We're called to reconcile, restore relationship. That's what, the, you know, that's what Jesus told us to do. To be, uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 50, be at peace with one another. Hey, listen, Christians are horrible at this forgiveness reconciliation thing. Horrible. Horrible. Do you know that's why we at Calvary Chapel made reconciliation a, a one of the core values of our church. There's eight of them you can see written on these walls. That's why they're there. Hey, those are super cool scriptures on the wall. Actually, they're, they're there to remind people of the things that they're not doing. They're there to remind people that, hey, these are the eight, the eight most disobeyed scriptures in all the world, in, in all the Bible. You know, people not doing these things, that's why we put them on the walls. So people can see it. So that the word of God can go forward in might and power so that we can be reminded of what we're called to do. That one right there says reconciliation. That one right there says we commit as believers in Jesus Christ. This isn't a church commitment. This is a commitment to the lordship of Jesus Christ, folks. That you're not committing to Calvary Chapel when you do this. You're not committing to Pastor Tim. You're committing to Jesus Christ. Because he tells us, reconcile with one another in the accordance of the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 18. Go look it up. Read about it. Read about the forgiveness, the reconciliation we're called to. Uh, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation, and we commit to operating in the spirit of reconciliation towards each other. There's a bookmark in the seat back pocket in front of you. Take it. Put it in your Bible. Look these scriptures up. That's what they're there for. Listen, we as a body have to be willing to reconcile with one another. And, if, and that requires us being willing to forgive one another. Forgiveness, step one. Reconciliation, step two, meaning we're willing to restore the relationship. We're not okay with leaving it the way it is. Hey, most people, to be honest, if you offend them in church, they leave and they go somewhere else. Why did you leave that church? Oh, because they offended me. Doesn't the Bible say something about that? Like you should go talk to that person that's offended you? In fact, I think the Bible says that you shouldn't even partake in communion if you know that you have, uh, you, there's something against someone, you have something against someone, you should leave the table, the altar, and you should go and make it right. I've seen people do that in the middle of communion. That's not the right time to do it, by the way. Hey, brother, he's over there trying to take communion. He's like, hey, brother, I got something against you. He's like, hey, can we talk about this later, <laughs> you know? That, that's why we're supposed to be prepared before we come. Like, we need to be thinking, like, hey, communion is the first Sunday of the month. We should be thinking about, like, okay, do I have anything against anybody? 
says, oh, but that's one of those scriptures. Does that really mean that? Yeah, it does. Hey, listen, God is serious about forgiveness and reconciliation. He is serious about it. And he's calling us to be serious about it too. So much so that God has, listen, given us the ministry of reconciliation. Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. It says this, And this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. What does that say about all the work that you've done to reconcile with God? It says you've done nothing. It says he did it all. It says he came to you. You didn't go to him. He came to you. We love him because he what? First loved us. How did he first love us? He sent his son to die on a cross for us. He extended the hand of forgiveness for us. That's how he loved us first. He was willing to reconcile with us. And when we were born again, folks, when we come to Christ and we are dead, but then we're made alive and we're reconciled to the Father, we're, we're handed a, the baton of the ministry of reconciliation. Do you understand what that means? That means you and I are to go out into the world and tell other people that they can be reconciled to a holy God through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, how in the world can we tell people that when we're unwilling to forgive each other and unwilling to reconcile with one another? How, how does that make sense? It doesn't, and the world knows. The world sees it, folks. They understand it. We've been given the privilege and the honor of getting to go into the world and telling people who are destined for hell, people that are stuck right where they, they, they're at a dead end and they're going down the road of destruction and you get to be the person that says, hey, listen, there's a God in heaven who loves you and he wants to reconcile with you. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you and rise again from the dead so your sins could be wiped out. <laughs> Man, that is powerful. This is paramount. This message contained in these 25 verses is, is it 25? Yeah, it is. Uh, it is paramount to our faith, guys. Paramount. And I believe that's why God is calling us to go through this book this morning. I think that we, you know, I, I know for myself, God is working me over in this passage, in, in, the, in this set of scriptures here today. And, and I know he's going to do the same with you because he's serious about this and he wants us to, to move from where we are and he wants us to move forward. Um, and so I, a, as we go through this scripture, we're gonna, there's some different parts I'm gonna point out and some points I'll make, but I want you to just be thinking about, Lord, is there someone in my life that I need to, that's wronged me, that I need to forgive? Some of you probably need to take a, a pen and a paper out and start writing down names. Because maybe that's a way of life for you. Maybe you're a grudge holder. Hey, listen, God, God's not okay with that, and he wants to deal with that. There's three things that we want to look at relating to uh, this letter from Paul to Philemon about doing the right thing. What's the right thing? Forgiveness and reconciliation. About doing the right thing. The first thing uh, relating to doing the right thing, it requires the right heart position. You'll never do this if your heart isn't in the right position to do it. So uh, look at verses 4 through 6 with me. Paul telling Philemon, hey, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may be effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because... The hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. I want you to think about Paul, who is writing this in prison. He's in his first imprisonment in Rome. Uh, you know, he, 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 in a sense, has been wronged. He, he's innocent, and he's in jail. He's writing a letter about forgiveness and reconciliation to a man named Philemon, who is probably an overseer in the church of Colossae. He's also the host of the church at Colossae. It's hosted in his home. Paul mentions several people in this passage. Timothy, his protege. He mentions Aphia, who is probably Philemon's wife. He, he mentions 
Archippus, or Archie, I like to call the guy Archie, that's probably Philemon's son. Paul is not just writing to Philemon, but he's probably writing to Philemon and his wife and his son because they're all involved in this situation. Because Onesimus, who is the other guy mentioned in this, is a runaway slave from them. Uh, th you know, he, he, was, uh, he was there with Philemon, and then he took off, and he wronged him. And so there's, Paul writes a letter to this family and says, listen, you guys need to consider what I'm about to say. The first thing he mentions, though, is things that he heard about them. Paul had never been to Colossae. Um, he says in verse 19 that Philemon owes him his own life, so my guess is that he led him to the Lord, that, that he had some, he was instrumental in Philemon coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, but what Paul had heard about Philemon and his family is they were a people operating by love. They were a people that were allowing the love of God to flow through their lives. Um, you know, and, and hey, that tells us a lot about their heart position, that their heart position is stayed on Christ. You can't do that. You can't love people uh, the way that you're called to love them. You can't walk by faith the way that you're called to walk by faith. You can't encourage the body of Christ if your heart position is not right, if you're not operating as a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord himself, Jesus said in John 13, verse 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. He didn't say how much you were going to do. He didn't say what ministry you're going to serve in. What he said is the one thing that you look for is love. Look for love. If you see love in the person's life and the way that they love, you can tell a lot about a person's character by how they interact with people. And that's what Jesus is saying. If they're loving towards people, uh, that, that's one of the signs that we know that they're a disciple of his. Philemon is clearly a disciple of Jesus. He's loving the people of God well. Philemon had a proper heart position before the Lord, and it's evident in the way that he lived his life. This tells us in verse 4 that he, he, he had love was evident in his life. He was walking by faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ and towards the saints that he was, he was sharing and, and giving, uh, encouraging the saints. He was refreshing uh, even Paul who wasn't there. This is a man of character. This is a guy who is centered and who has surrendered himself to the, listen, lordship of Jesus Christ. This is a man who has centered himself and who is submissive to the lordship of Jesus Christ. That is what it means to have the right heart position, folks. The right heart position is a bowing heart position towards Jesus. It means, Lord Jesus, you are my king, and I will follow your commands. You know, that's what he calls us to do. Jesus said, um, when you go into all the world, he, he said part of the Great Commission was not just uh, sharing the gospel with people, and making disciples, right? That's really the main part of it. And really, he says, teaching them to observe all that I have said. Teaching them to observe all that I have said. What is he saying? Having the heart position that bows low to Jesus and says, I'm willing to do what you say. Even when it's hard, when somebody wrongs you, when they've offended you, being willing to say, Jesus, you are Lord, and I'm willing to do what you say. I believe Paul is pointing out the character of Philemon and the heart position of Philemon relating to this, that he seems to be a man who is willing to follow the Lord and to do what he says. And so Paul's going to remind him about what that means relating to when you, somebody wrongs you in that way. Um, Paul goes on here in verse 10 and he says I appeal to you for my child Onesimus whose father I became in my imprisonment formerly he was useless to you but now he is indeed useful to you and to me and I'm sending him back to you sending my very heart so while in prison Paul has an encounter with this dude named Onesimus we don't know how it happened 
Paul was, had sign of, I mean, he was a Roman citizen, so his imprisonment was different than somebody who wasn't a Roman imprisonment, a prisoner. So he had some kind of rights, you know. Uh, pe people say he was on house arrest, you know, that he could have visitors come in and such. He was probably chained to a soldier or whatever, but he had some rights, and he was operating in those rights. So people were coming in and out. He was able to minister to people. Paul was there to share the gospel with people. I don't want you to miss the fact that he is a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, so oftentimes when we, you know, he, did, he didn't have to be writing this letter is my point. He could have sat in his cell and said, I can't believe you would put me in this place, God. I can't believe that you would allow me to be in this place uh, where I am experiencing all these hardships. Who, who is the focus on there? On yourself, right? And your circumstances. What if it was, hey, Paul, I have you there so that you can share the gospel with all these Roman soldiers and so that you have time to sit down and write a bunch of letters to people, uh, you know, to encourage the body of Christ because I want to use you in that way. Is that all right with you? Remember, if our heart position isn't correct, we can easily get sucked into the circumstances of our life and we can, we can totally go off mission at that point. If you believe God is in control, if you believe God is sovereign, and you believe that, if you believe the Bible that says in Romans 8, 28, that he works all things out for the good of those who love him or are called according to his purpose, if you believe these things, then you know that every circumstance that comes into your life is not coincidence. It's not by accident. Even the dumb decisions we make that we get ourselves into, we back ourselves into corners. The Lord knows about all these things, folks, and he's working in them. You know, we, all we have to do is look up and keep our hearts centered on Christ, and we'll be, we will not get off mission. Paul's not off mission here. He's like, dude, I'm going to stay on mission. I met this dude on Onesimus, and I'm going to share the gospel with him. Um, it just so turns out that he's a runaway slave of a dude that he knows. I mean, what are the chances of that? Think about this. What are the chances that you're 1,500 miles away by foot, Fifth, not by plane or car, 1,500 miles away and by boat because they had to cross some continents, but 1,500 miles away from Colossae and you meet a guy who knows Philemon personally. Not only that, but it's in a town of a million people or so. I mean, that's pretty awesome in and of itself. But then that person decides to give their heart to Jesus and, tell you, and he tells you his real story. What are the chances of that? Only God can do that. Only God can do that. O only God can orchestrate these kinds of uh, circumstances and such. He, only God can bring a person from 1,500 miles away and, and bring another guy who doesn't want to be in prison, but he's in prison, and he could have been killed in, in Jerusalem, but because he's a Roman citizen, he appealed to Caesar, and God uses all of that to get him over here to talk to this dude named Onesimus who is going to run away from his, his master, and they're going to meet together, and he's going to get saved. And then he's going to tell Paul his story. This is a miracle, folks. This is a miracle that this would happen, that Paul would have the, uh, the opportunity to know Onesimus and that then Onesimus would then give his heart to Jesus Christ, folks. God was working in the circumstances and Paul didn't take his hand off the plow in the middle of his own circumstances. He stayed the course. And now he says, man, he tells Philemon, dude, this guy that was useless to you and to the kingdom of God because he was a sinner who uh, was just walking in his sin. He didn't care. He's now become useful. Do you know what Onesimus' name means? It means useful. It means beneficial. He's finally living up to his name that he'd been given. Onesimus, hey, you're useful. The, the only, only, he finally found his purpose in life, folks. And that purpose can only be found in one person, Jesus Christ. If you're looking for purpose in your life today, it points to one place, folks, to Jesus. He is our identity. He's our purpose. When we find him, we find our purpose. We find what we've been created for. 
We're created to bring glory to his name, and we're created to uh, make him famous in this world, folks. That's our purpose. Onesimus has finally found his purpose in that. And then he shares with Paul. Hey, Paul, man, you know, I'm a runaway slave. You know, you know how one of you have one of those intimate moments with a person and you're having a conversation with them and then they, they tell you something and you're like, whoa, I didn't expect that. We're just having lunch. And the next thing you know, this person's telling you that they're deep, dark secrets. That's because God ordains those conversations. I hope you're mature enough to have them. And I hope that you, you're going to operate in the spirit in the midst of those. Paul was lo- wasn't like, oh, man. You wronged my buddy Onesimus? Or, or Philemon, you wronged him? Oh, you know, no. He says, hey, listen, we all blow it. But let me tell you something. You got to go back, bro. You got to go back. And I don't think he understands the consequences of a runaway slave going back. Paul, are, are you sure you understand what you're saying? You're telling me that as a runaway slave, I need to go back to my master where, you know, that's, a, that's capital punishment in this culture. You're telling me to take responsibility for my actions and do the right thing, Paul? Yeah, I am, as hard as it might be. And do you know what? Onesimus owned up to his sin, and he went and did the right thing, and he goes to... Colossae. We know that for a fact because Paul writes in his letter to the church at Colossae in uh, chapter 4, verses 7 through 9, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a, a beloved brother and faithful minister and, f- and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that we may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you? They will tell you everything that has taken place here. So Onesimus confirmed, yes, Paul, I will go. I will go, and I will go do the right thing. Why? Because Onesimus's heart was positioned correctly as well. He was centered on Jesus Christ. He was surrendered to the king. He was willing to obey the Lord. Yeah, I got to go make this right. If I know somebody has something against me, I need to leave the altar and go and make it right with that person. Man, I need to go and deal with my, deal, deal, deal with my sin, how I've wronged Philemon. And so he goes, and he, he goes back, and listen to Paul's words here. He tells him in verse 12, and this kind of leads to our next point, but I want to point it out right here. I am sending him back to you, sending my very I mean, this is super intimate, guys. Like Paul is saying, this is my child. I, I mean, I, I don't probably don't know him as well as you, Philemon, but I love this man. And I'm sending you back to him as my very own heart. I love him so much, so take care of my heart when he comes to you. Take care of my heart. It, it, perhaps we might think of that in the context of, of you and I going into the world and thinking about lost people. They are his heart. God loves people. Not just some people. Not people doing the right thing. He loves all people. And he wants us to extend that love to people. Again, man, these are tough things that we can only do in the spirit of God, folks. What is the fruit of the Spirit? What's the first, what is the fruit of the Spirit? Love. And through love manifests all these other things. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. If you walk in the Spirit of God, you will treat people like they are the heart of Christ. You'll treat them like Jesus. You know, um, I don't know about you, but it's easy to to get my heart turned away from lost people and not really think too much about it because I'm in a Christian bubble. And, you know, I'm, I, I talk to a lot of people and, and all this kind of stuff, but when I go out into the world and I hear about the things that are happening in the world and, and stuff, and I go, oh, man, how can they do this or that? Um, hello? Because they're sinners. That's what sinners do. They do dark things. They do debaucherous things. Sinners sin. That shouldn't surprise us. 
what should my reaction be to it? Of course, I'm not going to receive, like, you know, condone those things, but look what Jesus did. I, I think the church, if you look at it in the context of, you know, the Pharisees in Jesus' day, we're the representatives of Christ today. When Jesus showed up, they weren't loving the people right. They were arm's length distance away from the crowd saying, we don't want to be like those people. They separated themselves to such a degree that they looked down on sinners that they were supposed to be reaching. Israel was supposed to be a light to the Gentiles, folks. And they were not. And they were not. And here's the thing. The same thing can happen to you and I as new covenant believers as we can get in this state where we don't look, where we're looking down on, on lost people. Don't do that. Remember who you once were. Remember what God has done in your life. Those people are the very heart of God, that God so loved the world that he sent his only son in. Finally, uh, Paul is being very intimate relating to Onesimus and his command to Philemon here. He, he doesn't command him, he appeals to him. For love's sake, he says, man, uh, I could command you. Notice Paul doesn't say Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ. He says Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, and he doesn't command him to do anything. He said, I'm going to appeal to you by love that you'll do the right thing in this moment. I'm going to appeal. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hope that your heart position is right, that you'll do the right thing when, Philemon, or when Onesimus shows up. First, that requires the right heart position. Next, it requires the right reception. Look at verse 17. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Paul would have loved to keep Onesimus with him. He was useful, it says. But Paul wasn't going to retain Onesimus from Philemon, and, you know, he, he, he chose to do the right thing too. In sending Phi, uh, Onesimus back to Philemon, he said, no, you go back and you do the right thing. And I think there's a lesson in that for us. What are you counseling people to do? You know, think of it from Paul's perspective. When people come to you and they say, yeah, this person betrayed me, they wronged me, you know, and man, I, I hate them. And you're like, oh, yeah, I mean, I could see that. I, I Totally, I agree with you. I mean, uh, you know, what are you doing? <laughs> Be careful of the counsel you give to people. If you're walking in, in feelings, and by the way, always remember this. When it comes to two people, you know one side of the story. Don't ever forget that. I don't know about you, but I usually present myself in the best case in, on my side of the story. I, I mean, I might be an, uh, an anomaly, but that's kind of how I do it. I don't think I was wrong at all. <laughs> yeah, you weren't. Be careful. Don't do that. You, if you're going to open your mouth and give a person a counsel, you better be walking in the spirit. And if, you ha and, and if the Lord's not telling you to say anything, don't say anything. Don't say a word, folks. Lest you lead somebody astray. Our friends, you know, we love them dearly and such, but it's so easy to allow our emotions to run the course and we start giving counsel based on how we feel about a situation with somebody else. And I've done it. And I'm telling you, that's not the Lord. The Lord's not calling us to tell people how we feel about something. What does God's word say about it? And I'll tell you, most of the time it's super hard to do. The Lord's telling you to forgive that person. Yeah, I know, man, but I can't do that. Yeah, I, I don't think I could. No, the, the Lord's telling you to forgive that person. That's the counsel. This is the only counsel that we have, the word of God, folks. Be careful about that. Paul is... Paul is uh, giving the right counsel here, and he's sending Onesimus back. Listen to this, not as a bondservant, but as a brother. It w what an amazing thing to think that when Onesimus comes back to Philemon, that he's not a bondservant anymore. He's a brother in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's been set free. He's no longer a slave to sin and death. He's been born again to a living hope, and he as it stands, is flat-footed at the cross with Philemon right by his side. We're brothers in Christ, man. 
And Paul is reminding him, don't, don't rem remember this, that he's not a, maybe that's why God uh, allowed this to happen, he says. Maybe God allowed him to depart that he might come back to you as a brother. Well, that's a different perspective, isn't it? I don't know that I've really thought about that too much. Maybe God, you know, God doesn't orchestrate evil, but he uses it. He doesn't orchestrate, you know, sin and evilness, but he uses it. And he can use anything. It's so interesting because this concept of uh, Philemon coming back as a brother. You know, one of my favorite Christmas songs is Oh Holy Night. And you know, one of the lyrics in that song is chains shall he break for the slave is our brother. And in his name, Jesus, all oppression shall cease. You know where that scripture, you know where that uh, lyric comes from? right here it comes from right here there was a french dude that wrote that song and then another guy took it and he he was an abolitionist and he and he took the book of philemon and he said oh yeah look when when slaves become christians they become brothers and that's the line in that song is that that's what it means and man we were all slaves at one point we were slaves to sin and death and god set us free and now we're slaves to christ Praise the Lord. We are his, his children. Onesimus says, Paul says to, to Philemon, receive Onesimus like you would receive me. Now, how would you receive somebody that was you really respected? How would you receive them? Probably pretty good, right? I mean, if, if somebody that you highly respected knocked on your door today, how would you receive them? probably welcome them in probably be like oh my gosh I can't believe you're here <laughs> would you I don't know if you do that maybe I'll just do that but <laughs> no, you, you, you fanboy out on them and stuff I'm like oh. no I'm kidding but uh, you probably would be overwhelmed you probably would be very gracious you probably would you know roll out the red carpet for him and that's what Paul is saying to him Philemon Receive him as you would receive me. Receive him as you would receive me. We, we have to receive others the way that we've been received. How have you been received? It, you know, you've, you've been received like, like Jesus. You've been received in the kingdom of God like his son. He's wiped your sins away. When the father sees you, he doesn't go, oh, not you. He goes, oh, my son, my daughter. Why? Because he sees his son. He sees, he sees the perfection of his son. When it talks about what Jesus did on the cross and he transferred his righteousness and took our filthy rags, the only thing that the father sees is perfection when he sees us. Positionally. That's what it means to be justified. Your sins are wiped away. God's not looking down on you like, positionally you know as if you're a sinner he's looking down on you in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and that's how he receives you in he doesn't go oh no it's you again no he receives you in and he's calling us to do the same what will propel us to this point is our gratitude for how God has received us when we think about how good God has been to us and then somebody shows up on our doorstep and says hey I want to let bygones be bygones, man. Don't you dare say, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I need more time. Let me translate to you what that means. I'm not done feeling sorry for myself about how you have treated me. That's what it means. I'm not ready yet. Well, get ready. Because God's calling you to be ready. God isn't waiting for you to get ready. God wasn't waiting for, when we came to Christ, he didn't say, I'm not ready. He said, listen, I forgive you. He already made that decision. And what, what irks me is when Christians say, I'm not ready. You know why that irritates me? Because Jesus Christ was hanging on a cross and he said, Father, forgive them. He wasn't holding any forgiveness back. Listen, church. I know it hurts, but you got to get over it. You know, 
you, can, you don't have to be a person's best friend, but you do have to forgive them. And I will tell you, husbands and wives, listen, you, you're harboring unforgiveness towards one another. You're not willing to forgive, and your relationship's drifting because you're not ready. Are you serious? You're not ready? Hey, be thankful Jesus Christ was ready. And he's calling you to be ready at all times, folks. He's calling you to be ready right now. And if you're not in the word and you're not walking in the spirit, you won't be ready and you won't be able to do it. What is Christ calling you to do? Stay the course in him. And you'll never have to worry about those words ever coming out of your mouth. But if you're walking in the flesh, you'll never be ready. And you can sit there the rest of your life if you want to. You can sit in that unforgiveness and that bitterness and you can withhold forgiveness from your spouse or from your child or whoever it is. You can hold that back in sin to Jesus Christ and you can sit there and justify yourself the whole time and the Lord is just saying, man, what are you doing? Are you serious? You're not ready? Forgiveness is a decision. It's not a feeling, folks. It's a decision. Just like love is a decision. It's not a feeling. You decide to forgive a person. You decide to do it. Why am I being so harsh or so, so passionate about this? Not harsh, passionate. I think it's truthful. Why? Because we're not doing this. Because we're not loving each other. Why is the divorce rate in church so high? Because people aren't willing to forgive each other. Yeah, but Pastor Tim, they're... There's these, you know, and by the way, there are reasons for divorce. I think there's biblical justification for divorce. Jesus addresses that in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, you know, when it talks about adultery. If you, you know, but here's the thing. Read what he says. He didn't say, hey, if somebody, if somebody, if you, if you, um, you know, if, if there's adultery in your relationship, divorce him. That's not what he said. He said, because of the hardness of your heart, uh, God has allowed divorce in that circumstance. That's why. Why? Because of the hardness of your heart, not because God's will is for that. God doesn't want you to do that. That goes contrary to really the message about forgiveness and reconciliation, doesn't it? God was willing to forgive you for the deepest, darkest things that you've ever done, blaspheming him in all kinds of ways. And he said, you know, this one right here is a tough one. And he's, he gave us an out but that doesn't mean that's what he wants. And it makes my heart so happy when I see people who are willing to get over their hurt and reconcile with one another and grant real forgiveness. Dude, that is spiritual maturity. That is spiritual maturity. When somebody is willing to walk in the words of Jesus Christ and they're willing to go beyond how they feel about it or whatever the case is, and they're willing to reconcile and forgive someone. Listen, I know the enemy is at work in your home and he wants to divide your if you're married he wants to divide your marriage he wants to destroy your marriage he wants to divide you and your kids he wants to separate you and destroy you and so you know he's at work all the time to do that and circumstances come in your life and if you're not careful then you're going to harden your heart against your spouse you're going to harden how to get against your child and before you know it you're totally unforgiving you're unwilling to reconcile. You live in the same house, but you are not one like you're supposed to be. That is not God's intentions for you. And where all of this comes back to, guys, is forgiveness. Yeah, but Pastor Tim, they didn't ask for forgiveness. It's not about that. How about you worry less about the sincerity of their, for, um, you know, about their confession and whether they're really sorry or not? and worry more about your sincerity of granting forgiveness. How about that? How about we worry about how, we f how we're handling the situation and less about what they're doing, and let the Lord handle that. Maybe we should do that. The devil wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy every relationship you're in. And you're helping him if you're unwilling to walk in forgiveness and reconciliation. So whose team are you on here? Whose team are you on? Jesus said, Forgive like you've been forgiven. Man, it, it's a serious thing, guys. Um, and not only that, what, what Paul is saying to Philemon here is, dude, everybody at the church of Colossae is watching you. 
everybody's watching you. He, he's telling them that you need to consider the way that you handle this when you, when you have him back. Don't, if you consider him a bondservant when he comes back and not a brother, that's going to send a statement to everybody in the church of Colossae. And they're watching you. Everybody knows about this situation. Dude, it's in his house. How can they not know? You know, everybody's watching in this moment. And, you know, I, I believe that finally, I believe that Onesimus probably hand-delivered that letter to Philemon. He knocks on the door. They open the door, and it's like, uh, you know, maybe some servant answers the doors. Uh, hey, uh, Philemon, uh, you might want to come out here. Uh, Onesimus has showed up, and I believe the guy's like this right here. I believe he's on his knee. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? Handing him the letter from Paul. This is my theatrical, you know, rendition of what's happened here. So go with me on it. I'm not an actor either, so. But <laughs> how you respond matters, folks. Everybody's watching. You don't think your kids are watching in your house? How you respond to your spouse? You don't think your spouse is watching and how you respond to your kids? Listen, you don't think God is watching all over all of that? Everybody's watching. And, and, that, and that isn't really ultimately, really, that's kind of secondary, but it's true. You want to set the right precedence. You've been given the ministry of reconciliation. How dare you hold that back? How dare you hold that back? For any reason, there is no reason. Hey, do all that you can to live at peace with all men. Paul goes on here, and he tells them, I'll pay anything that I owe, just like Jesus said. I'll pay anything that, that, that they owe. Paul is telling Philemon, there's no excuses here. If there's restitution to be paid, which there probably was, Onesimus probably stole some things from Philemon in order to get the 1,500 miles away to Rome where he is. Probably stole some things and sold them and whatnot, right? But, but here's the thing. Paul says, I'll pay for it, just like Jesus said for you. What he's saying is there's no excuse here to hold back forgiveness. There's no excuse to not reconcile. Here, I'll pay what he owes. Man, he's been born again. You should be gra grateful to the Lord for what's going on in his life. There is no reason for you to withhold forgiveness from him, and there's no reason for you not to reconcile. Receive him right. Receive him right, Philemon. And finally, keep the right perspective. Look at verse 19. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your own owing me, your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Pa Paul is writing with his own hand here. I think that it's not just this part, which was typical in a letter. They would dictate to somebody, and somebody else would write the letter, and at the end, they would, the salutation, usually maybe the writer, the person dictating would, would write it would write it himself but probably Paul is writing this whole letter himself because it's a personal letter it's a personal letter to Philemon relating to Onesimus and, uh, and and Paul is telling him don't lose perspective in this moment Philemon don't lose perspective yeah I'll pay for what he owes but know this you owe me even your own life don't lose perspective here don't forget. It's like the unforgiving servant, right? Who goes to his master and, and his master says, you owe me 10 bucks. I need you to pay this $10. And he's like, master, I don't have the money. And so the, ma the master forgives his debt. But then that, that one that had just received that forgiveness goes out to a guy who owes him like 25 cents. And he says, hey, you pay me right now that money. It's like way less Right, and, and he says, the, guy, the guy's like, have mercy on me and all of these sorts of things. And, the, and the, the one that had just received forgiveness from his master is unwilling to forgive that guy and puts him in jail. Jesus gave this parable. And then the, then the master finds out about it. And he comes back to him and he goes, how dare you do that? How dare you do that? And he, he penalized him because of what he, what he had done, that, that's the idea of what Jesus said. When you, you must forgive as you're forgiven. You have to be willing to forgive this. Paul is telling Philemon, don't lose perspective. Dude, you have blown it big time. You've sinned greatly, and God has forgiven you. So don't you dare forget about that. 
when you're dealing with this guy. He's calling him to be gracious. And man, that we would be gracious with each other. You know, you never know what, some people are just difficult in general. (laughs) But some people are really going through things and you don't know it. And then you're like, you, you, you respond, they respond harshly to you and you respond harshly back. Be gracious, man. You don't know what people are going through. You have no idea what people are, are, are the things that they're dealing with. Don't lose perspective. When you're dealing with a brother or sister in Christ or you're dealing with a relationship that's broken, don't lose perspective here because you've been in that situation. You've been the wrongdoer. You've wronged God. And God has extended forgiveness and reconciliation to you, and you should do the same. I want to end with this thought, and it's from Luke chapter 7, verse 47. Jesus is in, a, in the house of a Pharisee, and, um, and this lady, this unscrupulous lady comes into the house, and she anoints Jesus, and she begins to cry at his feet and wipe his feet with her hair, with the, you know, her tears are wetting his feet and she's wiping it with her hair. And this Pharisee is at complete and total disgust with Jesus at this point. And he's like, Jesus, what are you doing? Why are you allowing this unscrupulous woman to touch you? You're defiled. Jesus said to him this, Luke chapter 7, verse 47, therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven and she loved much but he who is forgiven little loves little that was sort of a dagger to this guy he's saying man you don't love much because you don't understand how much you've been forgiven you don't you you don't have the right perspective dude you're totally lost you think that you're self-righteous and you think that you're all of these things but I'm telling you this lady knows who she is and she's on her feet wiping my, my dirty feet with her tears and her hair. She has the right perspective. You don't. Her sins, they're many, yeah. But man, they're forgiven. Don't forget how much God has forgiven you. When you step into these relationships that are broken, remain, keep that perspective of remembering how much God has done for you. Here, here's the thing is, I'm not telling you it's all gonna work out great. That's not really what, the, what this is all about either, is it? Paul isn't telling Philemon, hey, if it works out great, then cool. You know, no, that's not what he's saying. He's saying do this no matter what. It doesn't matter how it works out. And you do the right thing. You go to the person, you make it right, and you know what? If they reject you, they reject you. But guess what? That's on them. Are you going to allow someone else to keep you in a prison of unforgiveness? An unreconciliation, and you're going to store up that bitterness against them. They're in control of your life. They're in control of your brain. You're going to let that that person, uh, you're going to build a prison for yourself there. Why would you do that? God wants to set you free. And the, 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 the right thing to do, although it might be the hard thing to do, is to forgive that person and be released from all that bondage. You can hold on to stuff. You can hold on to your past for the rest of your life if you want. But here's what I'll tell you. The Lord's not doing that. Why would you? Why would you hold on to baggage that doesn't belong to you? It belongs to Jesus Christ. He died on the cross and he rose again from the dead so that that baggage could be released and so that you could be made right with one another. You could, be, you could forgive people and reconcile with them. So think about that this week as you go and live your life. If there's broken relationships. You know, the Lord is not okay with that. He's saying today you need to, you know, make it right. Now, you don't have to call your third grade friend that you took his ball once. And, you know, I mean, I'm not, don't be ridiculous. But you know what I'm saying? There's some big issues even maybe in this room right now. And you, you, you know what the Lord's saying. So be obedient to him. Paul was convinced that Philemon was going to be obedient, not to him, but to the words of Jesus. He was going to be obedient to the lordship of Jesus Christ, and he was going to do the right thing. And I encourage you to do the same. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, what a tough message this morning as we consider the things that are being discussed here about forgiveness when we're wronged and reconciliation with someone who has 
wounded us, Lord. And we ask you, God, this morning that we know it's, it's, we're totally incapable of doing what you're asking us to do in and of ourselves. So we pray this morning, God, that you would flood this place with your spirit and that you would help us to grant the forgiveness that is necessary, that we would make a decision in our own hearts in this moment right now by the power of your Holy Spirit uh, being washed with the blood of Jesus to forgive those who have wronged us and that we would do all that we can to live at peace with all men, that we would go and extend that, that um, reconciliation and we know life is so short, Lord. And um, we want to live well. We want to represent you well. We want to take seriously the ministry of reconciliation. And so we ask you, Lord, this morning to just move in our hearts, Lord. Heal the wounds that need to be healed. And um, I think maybe sometime, maybe I think there's a word here right now that, that you will never heal a wound that we aren't aren't willing to give up. In other words, we're harboring unforgiveness and, and that's the reason the wound still exists. Because when we lay it at your feet and we decide to forgive and we decide to reconcile, that's when the healing takes place. And so Lord, have your way in us. By the power of your spirit we pray. In Jesus' name, will you stand with us? Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.